You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me, uh, glad to have back Congressman Jamie Raskin. Congressman, good to see you today. How you doing? Great to see you, Brian. Uh, delighted to be with you. Well, uh, we're, we've got a lot to unpack, a little time to do it, so we're going to take a quick break to, uh, to uh, pay the bills, and we'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question, and I am your host, Brian Kerman. With me is Congressman Jamie Raskin, and as this is Just Ask the Question, we were talking before uh, we started recording that you've been out and about uh, campaigning. How does it look for Democrats in 2024, Jamie? I mean, I think the Democrats are fired up. I think Joe Biden is looking stronger and stronger all the time. Um, people have stopped talking so much about his age and are talking about his accomplishments and what this administration has done and what it's going to do. But, you know, we're, we're looking at a very strong economy, 20 straight months of 4% or less unemployment. I mean, like record right. jobs production. Um, the inflation rate is way down. Um, you know, we get the, why do people the not seem to see that? Why do, why do, why, what's the pushback? No, it's just, it's propaganda. Um, and that's powerful. Um, but the, you know, the, the, his opponents are floundering, looking for something to run on. I mean, it used to be abortion. Um, you know, for years when I was, uh, sitting there with the Republicans, abortion was murder. It was a Holocaust. Uh, they had to appoint Supreme Court justices who were going to topple Roe versus Wade. They did it. And then they discovered that America is a pro-freedom, pro-woman country and pro-reproductive health care. And suddenly they're losing all over the place. Kansas, Wisconsin, Ohio, people are rejecting their, uh, you know, absurd anti-abortion legislation and bans and, you know, criminal prohibitions. So now they don't want to talk about that anymore. The cat's got their tongue. They want to talk about immigration, but the Democrats and Republicans in the Senate came to an agreement uh, about immigration. And Trump says, no, you've got to reject it. Uh, you've got to overthrow that because he needs something to, to run, run on. on. So, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, they don't want solutions. They want problems. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because to me, that's the same type of strategy that uh, Mitch McConnell used in 2016 when you all tried to uh, get someone on the Supreme Court. It was delay, 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 run on an issue and and gamble that you're going to get Trump in so you could stack the Supreme Court. I mean, that seems to be what they're doing today. 
Yeah, I mean, it is not a strategy for governance or public policy progress. It's a strategy for control, um, which is why I say, you know, their party is basically rule or ruin. Either they're going to rule and control everything or they're going to ruin our chances of making progress. But that's basically an authoritarian fascistic strategy. And right now, the GOP, I am not happy to report because I loved Lincoln. I love Lincoln and I loved everything he did with the party. It was a pro-freedom, pro-union party. Progressive party. Turned, <laughs> progressive party. And they've turned it into a cult of authoritarian personality. And now it bears all the characteristics of a fascist party. They don't accept the results of democratic elections unless they go their way. They refuse to disavow or openly embrace political violence as an instrument for obtaining political power. And they're organized around one single charismatic personality, or at least putatively charismatic personality, <laughs> whose word is supposed to be more important than the Constitution, the rule of law, or the truth. Well, that's let's talk a little bit about that. So do you think that Donald Trump will be, I, I mean, I, I have to break this down two ways. A, do you think Donald Trump will be on the ballot in November? And B, if he is, what kind of difficulty are you going to have in the House getting in legislation passed with Donald Trump looming over everything? Well, first of all, uh, yeah, let's take it in steps. I don't think he is legally qualified to be on the ballot. Um, if the Constitution is the supreme law of the land and we are going to be a law-abiding society, it's very clear to me that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment disqualifies Donald Trump uh, because he participated in an insurrection or rebellion. And Section 3 of the 14th Amendment says if you were an office holder— uh, before and you violated your oath by engaging in insurrection rebellion, you can never hold office again unless the Congress by a two-thirds vote uh, decides to remove that disqualification. And I hear Trump and you know his minions out on TV saying this is unfair and undemocratic. I don't hear them saying it's unconstitutional. Um, in any event, I don't think it's unfair or undemocratic. Uh, you know, there's more than 100 million people in the country who can't run for president. There's 75 million who can't run for president because they're too young. I serve with a, a very fine young congressman named Maxwell Frost, who's uh, I think he's 27 or 28 now. He can't run for president because he's not 35. AOC can't run for president. Um, and then there's more than 30 million people who can't run because they are U.S. citizens, but they were not born in the United States. And uh, because I think it was a trick that uh, Jefferson played on Alexander Hamilton, he didn't want Hamilton to be able to be eligible to be president. So they said, you've got to be born in the United States. So um, Arnold Schwarzenegger can't run for president. He's born right. in Austria. Jennifer Granholm can't. You know, so of all of those different forms of disqualification for running for president, I think the most defensible one is you try to overthrow the government of the United States and set aside our constitution. You engaged in insurrection or rebellion because you chose to put yourself in that category of maybe a dozen people now in America are disqualified because of that, unlike the millions who are disqualified for these other reasons. Well, well they're going to say, hey, he hasn't been convicted of anything. Well, uh, he was impeached by the House of Representatives for inciting an insurrection against the union. And although he escaped narrowly conviction in the Senate, there was still a 57 to 43 majority vote finding that he did it. Um, so you think that you know, would disqualify him? 
I think that uh, under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, the disqualification is automatic if you engage in insurrection or rebellion, and any court has the right to determine it in defining whether he can get on the ballot or not. And that's what the Colorado Supreme Court did. They had elaborate fact-finding, and they found, using all the rules of evidence, that he'd engaged in insurrection. And the same thing happened with the Secretary of State of Maine. So obviously, we're going to want a uniform national determination of it. And I hope that the Supreme Court will not be acting as partisan toadies and sycophants, uh, but rather will be acting as real justices and will examine, to me, the unmistakable and unavoidable meaning of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, if you believe in the plain text of the Constitution and you believe in the original meaning of the Constitution. But the historians are absolutely clear on this subject. Well, let's talk a little bit about that as well, the meaning of the Constitution. One of the things I found me uh, most, well, I don't know if I would say it objectionable, but worrisome, was the five to four uh, decision by the Supreme Court recently about immigration that, you know, it supported the federal government removing the wire, the razor wire at the border, but only by a five to four margin, one vote. And effectively, it seems to me that the United States of America could have been dissolved. It was hung by one vote, whether or not the federal government has a right to enforce border the sovereignty of the border. Is that accurate to you? I mean, we have justices, as we've seen in the abortion cases, we've seen in Shelby County versus Holder, dismantling the Voting Rights Act. Um, we've seen justices who really are acting much more as partisan loyalists than as... Um, and they claim to be originalists. They, they, they claim that they're supporting yeah. the Constitution. Well, that's why the Colorado case about Section 3 of the 14th Amendment really is going to be the test of textualism and originalism, um, the, the textualist has to read the plain language of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to disqualify Trump. And an originalist um, would simply go back and determine that this was the core prohibition targeted to people like Donald Trump. I mean, remember, there were far broader proposals on the table when the radical Republicans who advanced the 14th Amendment in Section 3 came forward, Thaddeus Stevens and his friends, they were saying anybody who participates in any insurrection or rebellion for all time should be disenfranchised for life. And then when it got over to the Senate, they said, no, that's too broad. It shouldn't be disenfranchisement. People like Jefferson Davis or Robert E. Lee or Donald Trump should be able to vote. But since they swore an oath of office to uphold the Constitution and they proved themselves to be traitors to the Constitution, they can never be allowed to hold public office again. But they said, we're going to dramatically narrow it to the most culpable band of offenders so they don't reproduce a pro-insurrection, pro-white supremacy oligarchy in the case of the Civil War, or they don't go back to their old ways in the future because they were very clear they wanted this to apply for all time. Anybody who engages in insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution cannot hold, cannot be trusted with federal or state office. In fact, can't even be trusted to be an elector in the Electoral College. Well, isn't that kind of what's going on on the border right now with 24 governors riding in grass boats telling us that Texas is a, has sovereign right to defend the U.S. border? I mean, is is there any difference? Am I overstating it? You're the constitutional scholar. I'll defer to you. 
Well, um, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, and the U.S. Constitution and federal law are supreme to state law um, and local law. Um, and so, no, you can't overthrow <laughs> the sovereignty of the federal government. Um, and um, the Supreme Court's been very clear that it's Congress that has the power to pass laws respecting immigration and naturalization. And what's wild is that Congress is trying to do that. And the same Republicans who are defying the authority of the federal government are um, doing everything they can to sabotage um, a strong compromise that will secure the border and improve our immigration system. They don't want any kind of legislative work going on at all. No. There might be some things we disagree with, Democrats disagree with in there, some things Republicans disagree with, but that is the legislative process, and they're doing everything they can to sabotage it because Donald Trump wants something to run on. Yeah, and that's, to me, I, I mean, I listen to the argument, and they say, well, we reached an agreement to become, and, and you know, as a federal government, the states reached agreement, the original, and that sounds to me an awful lot like the compact theory that led uh, to secession in the Civil War, which was, you know, they they lost that. They, they right. They've lost that, and they're trying to revive it. Is that to you? Do you think that we're close to Civil War, or do you think that it's all hat and no cattle down in Texas? I don't think we're close to Civil War because I think the vast majority of the people reject all of the secessionist and insurrectionist fantasies of the Republican Party Trump cult. Um, you know, Biden beat him by more than 7 million votes, and we're adding you know, 15 million young people who have no interest in what the Republican Party's got to sell these days. Right. So uh, so I, I, I don't think we're headed that way, but they certainly are headed very much back to insurrectionist, secessionist rhetoric and ideology. There's no doubt. I mean, what the country rejected what the Supreme Court rejected, what the people rejected was the idea that uh, America is we the states. It's not we the states. It's not a handshake among yeah. the states and the governors. It's we the people. It's the people who created the Constitution under which both the federal government and the state governments exist. And the people are sovereign. Yeah, I, I but I want to ask, ask you one last question before we go to a short break. And look, um, I remember years ago walking through the the halls of the state capitol in Annapolis, and we were talking about state issues then. Now we're talking about national issues and international issues. Did you ever think that it would get that we'd be at this place at this time in the United States from back then? No way. Um, no. Um, <laughs> you know, I, but, but all I can say is that we are going to wake up one day and look back on it and say, what the hell just happened? Uh, because we are going to be able to defeat Trump and Trumpism. Um, and the forces of democracy and freedom are just much stronger. God bless you. And I, I, I hold that same hope. With that thought, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. 
Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me is Congressman Jamie Raskin from Maryland. And Jamie, I, I guess I got to ask you this. You were uh, you were on the impeachment. You, you had a lot to do with the impeachment of Donald Trump the second time. And now Mayorkas is facing impeachment. What's the difference? Well, um, they're taking uh, a very serious constitutional instrument, which exists for high crimes and misdemeanors, like inciting a violent insurrection against your own vice president and the Congress of the United States and the Constitution. And they're trying to trivialize it, uh, cheapen it, and strip it of any meaning. Uh, they, you know, they, it is not used for policy differences, and that's all they're citing with Secretary Mayorkas. I mean, it, to me, it's a, a riot in the pre-January 6th sense of the word, uh, where the uh, Secretary Mayorkas is out with the administration trying to negotiate with Democrats and Republicans in the Senate an actual immigration law and rather than participate in a productive legislative exercise, the Republicans in the House want to impeach Secretary Mayorkas uh, for uh, policy differences they have. But that's not what impeachment is. Impeachment is for high crimes and misdemeanors. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so it's amazing to me that you have people who could not bring themselves to vote to impeach Donald Trump for an inciting an insurrection that almost got them killed in our own chamber, but they now want to impeach a cabinet secretary uh, for enforcing the law. Well, I find a lot of this, uh, you know, not only hypocritical, but uh, if it were, if it were written as a comedy, you you would go, no, there's you know, there's, there's no way, no one's ever going to buy this, and yet it's happened. And I point to another one. They, you've got Jim Jordan who wants to jail Hunter Biden for avoiding a, a congressional subpoena. Am I wrong to say, well, where the hell has Jim Jordan been for his congressional subpoena? Um, he blew off his congressional subpoena, like the other Republican members uh, of Congress, uh, like Scott Perry from Pennsylvania, yeah. uh, who were um, more or less integral actors in Donald Trump's plans to overturn the 2020 presidential election, which uh, Biden won in the Electoral College by 306 to 232. They wanted to get Vice President Pence to set that aside and then either declare Trump unilaterally the victor in the contest right. or kick the whole thing over into the House of Representatives for a so-called contingent election. But in any event, they knew a lot about what was going on and we wanted them to come and testify and they refused to do it. And now you have people who are absolute subpoena scoff laws um, and subpoena uh disobedience and criminals um now uh purporting to enforce the sanctity of subpoenas against people who actually want to follow the subpoena i mean hunter biden was showed up to, yeah he showed up and chairman comer on multiple occasions said you can either show up before the full committee or you can take a deposition in the back room and he said i'll show up before the full committee and he literally showed up and they didn't want that at that point. They wanted to keep it in the, the back room. Why? Because they, they know that they have not laid a glove on Joe Biden. There are no um, uh, the high crimes and misdemeanors they've been able to identify uh, in his case. Um, Hunter Biden obviously made some 
uh, terrible decisions and made some bad mistakes. And he's got an entire special counsel appointed to be prosecuting him for his gun offenses and for his tax offenses and anything else that comes up. But that's not enough for them. Um, they want to dragoon him in to try to create some guilt by association for Joe Biden. For stuff that happened when he was a private citizen or a vice president, but nothing that has occurred. There's been, I haven't seen any evidence of anything that has occurred while he's been president, right? They they, they cannot name what they think the high crime or misdemeanor is. No, they keep I mean, saying, it's, Comer, it's, Comer says, well, that's what we're going to have an investigation for. <laughs> right. It's the most circular thing in the world. Well, it's not it's not a who done it, it's a what is it? Because nobody knows what the offense is. That's the mystery. <laughs> who done it? What is it? This week on Columbo. <laughs> well, all right, so let's talk a little bit about how how, div how difficult is it? Look, I, I've known you for a while. We've had good conversations. You can sit down and I, you know, if you agree or disagree with you, I've seen you have civil conversations with people that disagree with you. How hard is it to deal with uh, members of Congress? And I could think of a few names, but I won't name them, Margie Taylor Green, but others who you know, are just immune to facts, logic, and can't, you know, can't spell it right. But that's another issue. I mean, how difficult is it today, seriously, working in Congress with the other side of the aisle? Well, you know, the, the most disappointing thing uh, is that they don't want to get anything done. Um, you know, and even when I can find places where we agree with, you know, with them, they're not willing to really work on anything. Um, you know, uh, Matt Gates, um, who really has, you know, bowed down to Donald Trump and does whatever Trump asks him to do. Um, he has some opinions that we could, you know, conceivably work together with him on, for example, decriminalizing marijuana because he's something of a libertine about that. And so we obviously think that the war on drugs is a failure and we should stop ruining young people's lives by getting them a criminal record that makes it impossible for them to find work and get on with their lives and so on. But they just won't do anything and they don't want anything to succeed. And I, I don't think that the Rules Committee has sent out a bill that um, has passed in the House in more than eight or nine months, uh, unless the Democrats are going to bail them out, like the way we bailed out the speaker right. on the various budget deals. But I don't think they can't agree on anything amongst themselves, much less agree with us. Yeah. And so like that, that's the bottom line problem. I mean, you know, that we've spent, I think, five or six weeks in this new Congress with them you know, overthrowing their own leaders, trying to pick new leaders. I mean, there have been so many people who potentially been speaker. And now all we do is these so-called suspension bills, which is like post offices or, you know, right. National Chrysanthemum Month. And so I, I <laughs> you know, I, I told Mike Johnson, I said, all we do is suspensions and expulsions. It's like my old high school, you know, <laughs> I mean, we got we, we got rid of George Santos, but we're not doing any legislation. But, you know, I sat there for four years under Donald Trump and they had infrastructure week, they had infrastructure month, then infrastructure press conference. We never had an infrastructure bill. And then Joe right. Biden got elected and we had it in the first week. And we have since passed 
you know, under Biden, a $1.5 trillion investment in the roads and the highways and the ports and the airports and broadband, rapid internet in the rural areas and so on. Like the Democrats are committed with all of our flaws and imperfections. And I don't deny that people beat me up all the time. You guys don't know how to message very well. You need to improve your messaging. Fine. But even with all of that, we are committed to the common good of the people. We've lowered dramatically prescription drug prices um, in yes. the Medicare program. I had constituents who are paying like $1,000 a month for their insulin shots as diabetics. And now that's capped at $35 a month in right. Medicare. And we're trying to make that apply across the country. So we're actually working to make things better. And, you know, all they want to do is a hate fest about immigrants to the country. Yeah. And at the same look, man, I did a I, I've told people this and I've actually streamed it. I did a series in 1985 and that was the first time I came to the Capitol and I did a piece on the Simpson Mazzoli Act. And so I, the, it was a 10 part series called Across the Broken Border. Show me where it's any different today than it was 40 years ago. It's the same problem. It's just that they refuse to do anything about it because they want to run on it. And that's that's disappointing on on men. That's forty years of disappointment, man. I'm telling you. That's right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, God bless. I've seen it. But do you? No, think and, and we, we finally have the opportunity to get serious about it, and they just want to destroy it. They want yeah, to derail and it. still do. Before you take off, I want to talk about two things real quick. Mike Johnson, do you think he'll be the uh, speaker uh, at the end of this year or not? Yeah, I, I think he will. Um, that they may try. I mean, I'm sure Marjorie Taylor Greene or some others will try to vacate the chair because, you know, the Freedom Caucus and Trump are always unhappy. But I don't know who they could replace him with. And so, he, I mean, so he he might be just sort of the lingering lame duck speaker because I don't think they're going to be able to find consensus on anyone else. And Republicans have got to create the problems that uh, have got to solve the problems that Republicans create. And this is their problem at this point. We can't bail them out on that. Yeah, I'm betting on Hakeem Jeffries after the first of the year. And final question for you. Well, um, you know, you, you might be right in the sense that their margin, you know, they just have a two-vote margin at this point. Kevin McCarthy uh, ditched them. Then uh, we got rid of George Santos, um, yeah. uh, the liar and the cheat. And another Republican's left. So, I mean, it's like, you know, rats in a sinking ship. So it may be that we just end up in the majority. Yeah, that's and my final question for you is, one of the pieces of legislation near and dear to my heart, and of course, one of the things that where you've actually found some bipartisan support is on the Press Act. Tell me a little bit about that. And would would you support breaking up media monopolies? Um, first of all, thank you for um, lobbying me and pushing me on this and opening my eyes to it. That's what gave me the idea to do the Press Act. But it establishes a journalistic privilege for reporters so that they are not being subpoenaed for their confidential sources and uh, they're not forced to give up their sources unless it's a you know there's a terrorist attack going on or a matter of national security but to me this is just a, the natural logic of the freedom of the press under the first amendment um so um yes will it pass, and, uh, will it pass the senate well, it passed the House, and we're hopeful it'll pass the Senate. I think we've got some good momentum there. So it would be a miracle in this Congress, because it really is a do-nothing Congress, if we were able to get it through. But my fingers are crossed. I'm knocking on wood, and I hope everybody can rally around the Constitution and the freedom of the press. The press is not 
um, the people's worst enemy, as the last president said, the press is the people's best friend. Yeah. And we need the press. And uh, we'll have to come back another time to talk about um, about corporate concentration and deconcentrating uh, monopoly positions. I definitely would love to have that conversation. And of course, any help you need from me, you got it on 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 the other one. Uh, Congressman, I appreciate you being with us today. I know you got to take off, so I'll I'll let you fly. The name of this show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.